Did Jesus really die on the cross for my sins? In this video, I'm going to teach you how to decode the ancient esoteric symbolism. I'm going to help you uncover the symbolic meaning of a couple of supposed miracles of Jesus through ancient African spirituality and Egyptian mythology. The real meaning of Jesus dying on the cross can actually be found in the ancient esoteric spiritual science of Kemet rather than a historical event. The truth is a whole lot more empowering than the deceit of Christianity. Unless your only hope is a savior. In that case, then it's a terrifying proposition. Here's what you'll learn in this video. Reorienting your thinking from the religious paradigm to the truth. A real life example. Archetypes and biblical connections explained. The biblical allegory of Judas decoded. The biblical miracle of Jesus calming the storm decoded in Matthew 8, verse 23 through 27. The ancient symbolism of the cross decoded. So let's get to it. Reorienting your thinking from the religious paradigm to the truth. We've been taught that the cross is how Jesus was crucified. If you've been following along in my videos, I've given you the ancient esoteric meaning of Jesus that is much more empowering than we were taught in church. This video will be no different. Let's first reorient our thinking about the events in the Bible surrounding Jesus as even happening to a human being on earth. We have to go to the origin of the ancient Africans expressing the journey of the soul. The content of the four Gospels were taken from the Egyptian book of coming forth by day, as it is known by the natives. It's about the soul becoming enlightened and elevated consciousness. It's erroneously known as the Book of the Dead by most of the world because early Egyptologists found the information written in coffins. A major theme in African spirituality is the journey of the soul originating from the noon, leaving to express itself and gain wisdom, and then returning back. This journey is told through the mythological characters of Osiris and Horus. The ancient Egyptians recognized two paths that could be taken by the soul on its journey to enlightenment. One path is the Christic path in which the soul receives its enlightenment all at once. The second path is the Osirian path, which the soul learns and experiences through cycles of reincarnation. From the ancient African teachings, the soul has multidimensional freedom and awareness when it's a part of its natural world of energy and consciousness. In the metaphysical world, the soul is infinitely aware and exists in multi-dimensions simultaneously. When the soul drops down into the physical or underworld, it loses its infinite awareness and can no longer metaphorically see. The soul becomes unaware or blind, comparatively speaking, and existing in darkness. Seeing and blindness become metaphors for levels of awareness within ancient esoteric language. The idea is to raise the physical consciousness and awaken you from within to where you're spiritually reborn. Sight is restored and you are enlightened. In that moment, the enlightened human merges with the higher Ka and becomes a Christ with elevated awareness. With this elevated awareness, the individual now metaphorically sits on the throne as master or lord over ego and emotions. He or she who was blind has awakened from the state of being dead or ignorant. The common thread that connects all of these states is that they are new transformations from what existed before. 
The old aspect dies so that the new may live. So here's a real life example of becoming a Christ. Living life gives you the opportunity to Christ every day. It's the idea that inch by inch, it's a cinch. You advance and evolve a little every day. For example, you may struggle with some aspect of your life. One day, something happens that causes you to re-examine your behavior. Once you decide to change, the old you metaphorically dies and the new you is reborn. The old consciousness dies and the new consciousness is reborn, or in the case of the soul, it's resurrected from its state of blindness or being unaware. In that moment, you become a Christ. That's real life. It takes a commitment on your part to be true to yourself and your journey. You'll have to be courageous because that fork in the road can be a tough decision. Do I go right and stay safe doing what I loathe, or do I go left take a risk that I could lose it all, but on the flip side, live the life of my dreams. That's where the courage will need to arise. Or you shrink back to the mundane. The myths are universal archetypes. They explain in allegorical form deep universal truths. The same truths are hidden underneath the esoteric language and buried under the guise of history in the Bible. When Christianity made Jesus historical, it changed the impetus from interpersonal work to adoration of a perfect being that you were to emulate. The monsters and demons in the spiritual systems are actually metaphors for your inner battles. They're archetypes as well. You will never gain wisdom through adoration of another. You cannot gain wisdom from reading a book. Developing your wisdom is a contact sport. In other words, you may have to go through some crap and conquer your inner demons before you finally learn your lesson. Worshiping something outside you or trying to copy someone else cannot bring enlightenment. It's by overcoming the pain within your life trials that can bring wisdom. I'm going to address a couple of biblical allegories expressing a universal archetype that will expose the errors of historicizing mythology. The Bible apostles have been historicized when in reality, they are the symbolic expression of ancient Egyptian mythology. The 12 apostles of Jesus are on one level, archetypes of expression within your personality. There are aspects of yourself that you may need to learn to overcome or strengthen on your life journey. An easy way to understand an archetype is that it's a universal pattern of behavior that you and others in society recognize. Once you hear the archetype, you know what the person is like. It's like a communication shortcut for us to speak in archetypal language. For example, if I describe someone as a nerd, the images and thought about nerds come to mind immediately. You form personality characteristics about a nerd and attach them to the person being described. Because you recognize the archetype, you can make the assessment in five seconds or less. It's natural for you to do this but you probably had no idea the apostles are connected to the concept of growing through enlightenment within yourself. Again, this is what becoming a Christ means. But because you've always understood the Bible stories and people as the history of a person, the ancient connection and relevance for you in today's world is lost. Today we might say a person has the archetypes of a saboteur, a victim, or a geek. In other words, 
These are personality types we recognize within society and within ourselves. Just like the archetype of a nerd, when I say this person always plays the victim, you most likely have an idea of the type of person that I'm talking about. You understand the archetypal language, but because it was called something else in ancient times, you were taught to worship it. You think it's something different than how we express those same ideas today. These ancient ideas become easier to understand when you know what they represent conceptually and you can connect them to your own life experience. In your journey, you might have to deal with an archetype within yourself that will cause you to sabotage your ideas, your relationships, or your creativity. You and all of us on some level have the archetype of the saboteur within. You might have a pattern within relationships that when you begin to feel close to that individual and start to feel vulnerable, you do something to cause you to sabotage the relationship and break up with that person. You may want to start a business and talk yourself out of it over and over. You repeat these patterns until you become aware or enlightened about them through introspection. In ancient Egypt, the archetype might be called a Scorpio, a Leo, or a Cancer, etc. The disciples of Jesus represented personality archetypes that he had to conquer in some way in order to eventually become the enlightened Christ. Remember the temptations of Christ? Let's decode an obvious archetype in the Jesus story. In ancient times, that psychological saboteur archetype was called Judas. Think about what Judas did. He sabotaged Jesus on his journey. On an astrological level, Jesus was the light of the world, or the S-U-N. He was the son of God. In astrology, the sun also measured time. The sun traveled through the zodiac sign each month. In the springtime, days would be longer than nights, and the sun would symbolically win his battle over darkness or evil. Beginning in the fall, the days would become shorter and shorter until in the winter, the nights would become longer than the days. Now, I've referenced the story of Jesus based on two levels of knowledge, one psychological and the other astrological. Now, let's see how Judas fits into both these levels with your new knowledge of psychological archetypes and astrology. I stated earlier that the zodiac signs are the 12 apostles of Jesus. Within the zodiac, Judas was Scorpio in the month of October, following the equinox of Libra in September. How can I know this? Because the equinox in September would mean that on one date, night and day were equal. After that date, the nights would gradually be longer than the days. The ancients represented this idea metaphorically as the sun gradually fading into its eventual death in winter. The zodiac sign Libra ends in October and Scorpio begins. In ancient times, they would say a scorpion sting looked like a pair of lips. So how did Judas reveal Jesus? With a kiss. Judas sabotaged Jesus by marking him with a kiss. Again, Scorpio. On the astrological level, October begins the time that night becomes longer than days. The S-U-N is starting its journey toward death on the cross. So now you have two levels of symbolism exposed. One aspect was a psychological archetype. The other was about the eschatological phase of the Egyptian mythology. So let's break down one more story. The miracle of Jesus calming the storm. 
Let's break down the gospel of Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27, through the esoteric understanding that Jesus on one level is about the journey of the soul within the physical body and the apostles being aspects of the personality. We begin at verse 23. It says, Then he got into the boat, and the disciples followed him. The boat is a reference to the ancient Egyptian boat of Ra that a soul takes on his journey from darkness into light. Of course, the apostles would follow him because they're part of the psychological egoic personality. Your apostles follow you every day. So verse 24 says, Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. Jesus was sleeping. The storms of life come upon us all the time, don't they? How do you deal with the rough stormy waters of life? Do you freak out? Or do you calmly handle what's going on in your life? If it's something that you've dealt with before, you probably know how to deal with it. You calmly go about your business. But the first time, how did your disciples or ego handle the storm? Probably just like they did coming up in verse 25. It says, the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. How many times has it been that you felt like you were going to drown from catastrophic events? When you're afraid, you look for help. The disciples wanted the Lord to save them. Now understand that the Lord in ancient times meant master. In other words, the disciples were asking the master to save them from their fears. When you learn to master your fears, you become the Lord or master of your faith. Now, what did Jesus say to the disciples in verse 26? He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The master or higher self took control of the situation and said, get behind thee, Satan. I, I mean, be gone, opposition. In other words, when you recognize your power to create, you calm that storm from within. Let's get back to our regularly scheduled program. I mean the scripture in verse 27. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. They mean even the storms of life bow down to your power and enlightenment. Understand that the ancients knew your body is 70% water. The soul is immersed in the body. When you become the Christ and handle your business, then you become Lord and master of the storm of emotions that can wash over you during difficult times. You transform or change something negative into calm. When you calm the storm, Christ is present within you. You become the master of your boat or journey. What I'm saying to you by exposing this story is that you are the seed of the divine. Within you is the potential to gain enlightenment through your trials and tribulations of life. That's what they're designed for. Jesus was not a special miracle worker that you have to learn to be like. Now let's address one last symbol, and it's a big one. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. In ancient African spiritual science, a cross has multiple meanings and interpretations. Within the ancient Egyptian science, one of those meanings is directly related to the idea of Jesus dying on the cross as the Savior. Conceptually, the cross was the idea of what components were needed to occur in the metaphysical world in order to manifest the physical world. 
In numerology, it's the number four. In Egyptian mythology, it is Ptah, the top pillar, which is the four elements as the foundation of physical matter. Ptah, as an aspect of nature, is the cross. In order for matter to manifest, it must have four components from the metaphysical world to exist. A physical body is matter. It's pinned or nailed to the metaphysical cross in the sense that it cannot come into existence without the crossing of the four alchemical elements of fire, water, air, and earth. This crossing has to occur for anything material to exist, including mankind. A very crude application of these elements is to understand the science of how matter forms. Fire is desire, water is emotion, air is spirit, and earth is matter. The Bible has symbolic names for earth or the underworld. Just a few of those names are Egypt, Sodom, Babylon, etc. These are all esoteric names for different aspects of the soul's journey down into the underworld of earth. Because the Roman church had a major influence at the time of the biblical writings, Rome became the symbolic shining city of light that the soul ascended to. Egypt was the land of the underworld or earth where the soul went through their trials and tribulations or hell. This is one reason Egypt is seen as the negative place and people in the Bible. Different aspects of this physical journey are expressed as our holidays of Christmas and Easter. Christmas is the birth of the soul of Jesus into the physical world. And Easter is the individual being resurrected from death as an enlightened spiritual being and connected to its God self. When Jesus turns water into wine, it's about the idea of spiritual elevation. Life is the fermenting agent of the soul that causes it to age and gain wisdom. Jesus or enlightenment is the true vine that enlightens the branches which are you and me. But again, it's all happening from the perspective of a soul. That's what the readers of the gospel miss. The mythological events the story of Jesus is based on is not in the underworld of earth. It's metaphysical. Yeusa or Jesus, is the creative fire aspect that emanates from the double crossing of the elements. It's the desire or will to exist and perpetuate itself. It's the energy or spirit being encased or entombed in matter that will continue forever. When you transmute the energy within matter, you elevate it. That means you elevate consciousness. Again, I really watered down what the original teachings of the cross is. The comedic ideas are extremely technical, but you don't have to know it that deep in order to understand the science of it to unhook your mind from worshiping the symbols. This will also help you decode the esoteric meaning of the Bible scriptures. I give you these details so you can unravel the misinformation of Christianity and know the truth. The truth is that as a soul, you, me, and everyone all died on the cross to be made flesh. Everything in our universe died on the cross in order to exist. Our physical universe is the result of metaphysical properties that had to interact with each other. On one level, the idea of Jesus and Osiris is simply expressing the metaphysical death of the soul that has to be born into the physical body. This spark of the divine gave its life so that mankind may live abundantly. In that terminology, you may hear a Christian expression or dogmatic idea that Jesus died on the cross for your salvation. 
Christianity made Jesus the exception. But in truth, that's the lie that traps you into the world of fear and self-hatred. You, as a soul, gave your life and your awareness so that you, the physical person, may live or be animated. The soul is wanting you to open up to its guidance. In terms of a soul and salvation, the spiritual science says that the soul has to die on the cross, which means give up its multidimensional awareness in order to descend into the physical world and experience itself as a human being. When it does, the body becomes euphemistically the tomb for the soul. The consciousness of the soul is buried in the flesh. From the ancient comedic perspective, the physical return is the salvation, not being saved from hell as Christianity has taught us. While in the flesh, the soul is to develop its awareness and become conscious consciousness. You as consciousness are to elevate your knowledge and wisdom on your return back to the one. When you elevate your individual wisdom, it also becomes elevation of the collective wisdom of humanity. This is the meaning of the double ma'at that you see in some comedic reliefs. Ma'at is symbolic of the idea we call consciousness in modern times. We have a ma'at on our personal level, but also connected to the universal ma'at. What I want to make clear at this point is that the Bible stories are on one level the allegories about the journey of the soul from the metaphysical world to the physical and then out of the physical. Other aspects are teaching universal metaphysical principles like personality archetypes. Christianity taught us that the stories and characters were about historical events. In reality, the events were a drama or play about the esoteric metaphysical principles. Initiates were to see the symbols and then demonstrate their knowledge of the ideas by connecting them to their life experience. This turns the exegetical or interpretation significance of the Bible upside down. But it's what's needed to help humanity evolve. When we've looked at the scriptures and biblical gospel characters as history, we now have to see them as the ancients did as symbols and metaphors for ideas that are too broad and dynamic to be contained within a language. This is a whole new paradigm. As I've stated before, Christ is an aspect of you. Humanity has a spark of divinity within that's wanting us to elevate beyond our fears. So Jesus didn't die on the cross, but you did, or you wouldn't be here living life. Yes, you are saved. Please subscribe, like, and share this video with others that they may benefit from this enlightenment.